Welcome to Extension Out Loud, a podcast from Cornell Cooperative Extension. I'm Paul Treadwell. And I'm Katie Bailden. This is our final episode in the Leading Through Extension series that we've been running. And as a side note, it's also the final episode that my co-host will be joining me for. So we want to say goodbye to Katie Bailden and wish her best in her next career move. You'll be missed, Katie. Thanks, Paul. I'll definitely miss doing these podcasts with you. For today, who are we talking to? Today, we talked to Ashley Helmholtz, and she's the adult program leader for Cornell Garden-Based Learning, which means that she engages with master gardeners and master gardener coordinators across New York State. My name is Ashley Helmholtz, and I'm the adult program leader for Cornell Garden-Based Learning. I've been here for approximately two years. It's been a really interesting journey getting back to extension work because it's really where I started off in most of my volunteering and even some of my practicum work in college and graduate school. So I'm from Western New York, but I've lived all over this country. I've lived in Michigan for a large chunk of my life. I went to undergrad there, Michigan State, and lived in Savannah, Georgia as well. And across these experiences, I really have more of a background in urban planning and environmental studies and environmental justice. And so I have this real focus on the urban environment, but the impacts of urban greening on local communities. And that's really been like the central theme of my career. And so it's a little different way of getting to working with um, the Master Gardener Volunteer Program and Cornell Garden-Based Learning, but it makes a lot of sense when thinking about my background. I really worked in a national nonprofit called Earth Force, where I worked with um, watershed-based education in a lot of urban areas throughout the Midwest as well as working for several years for farmer's markets and uh, farmer's market nutrition education programs, starting up a SNAP program at a farmer's market and uh, double up food bucks program, which is similar to what we have in New York state around increasing purchasing of fruits and vegetables. So I really got kind of cut my teeth more on environmental education and farmer's market work. And then really that led into doing some local government work in a sustainability office in Savannah, Georgia where I worked directly with community organizations and community gardens and really helping to support, organize, develop volunteer programs, even developing a sustainability plan and several grant programs that supported this idea of using vacant spaces in urban areas to really support those communities, whether it be through food security or reducing flooding The central theme of my career is just working in these vacant, underutilized spaces and helping support the way that we can really enhance urban greening through them. Like I said, community gardens were really a central part to that. So when I uh, moved back to New York State after having my son, I really was interested in getting back into that work. And really, Extension is just the perfect kind of place for me because it's this place where applied research really takes place, right? Where we where we take the great work going on at Cornell and we apply it to communities where they can use it. And so that's that's what I really went to school for. You know, I, I really was interested in more of the applied piece. How does this really address community issues? And that's exactly what the Master Gardener Volunteer Program does. It prepares adults to take on action projects in communities, to work with community partners, to address issues through the use of gardens. I really love that. And that's what Cornell Garden-Based Learning is all about. And we really prepare those CCE educators to to prepare their volunteers to do that. So that's been a really fun thing, being able to connect interesting and creative um, new projects through Cornell to communities that can use them. 
you mentioned Cornell Garden-Based Learning and, and that you're the adult program leader. And you also mentioned the Master Gardener program. So can you tell us how those pieces fit together? Cornell Garden-Based Learning is really a partnership between myself and Marsha Imshivli, who runs the 4-H youth gardening components. So we've, there's always been this kind of partnership between across the generations, right? So the, we do most of the adult programs and Marsha really works primarily with 4-H youth. And I think there's a real synergy there because again, we're a little different than most states in that we don't have a top-down Master Gardener volunteer program, but we provide guidance and professional development to the CCE educators. That's really our mission. We want to provide and support those CCE educators in connecting to Cornell resources and um, really preparing the Master Gardeners for new cutting edge kinds of programs. So we develop those statewide projects that Master Gardeners can get involved in, as well as we really prepare the curriculum resources that they use for preparing their volunteers. And then at the local level, they're really taking that and adapting it to their local needs so that their Master Gardener volunteer program might have slightly different looks around the state, but they're all gonna have that same overarching mission of focusing on food security or environmental stewardship, which is our mission. Um, And we, like I said, really, provide the professional development to develop peer educators uh, and really develop high quality adult education programs, which is really where we um, are are similar across the youth and the adult programs. So Ashley, who are master gardeners? So master gardeners across the state really look very different. We have programs in very urban areas to very, very rural areas. Primarily, we tend to work with an older population of folks because of the volunteer commitment. And most people, you know, have that time when once they're retired. So we have a large um, retired community that works in the Master Gardener program, but we actually have seen a lot of diversity and increase in younger people, people with children, people with jobs joining the Master Gardener program in the last year when many people have taken those trainings online. And so that was a big push that we made over the last year and a half. Um, We had funding before COVID started to really take what was a new online curriculum and really adapt it so that it, it wasn't just a library, Cornell Garden-Based Learning Library is what it's called, but it was actually a guided course that each county could use for the Master Gardener program. And what I'm hearing from all of the coordinators is that they are able to get a larger diversity of people in their programs because of that. So um, when many of them took it online, they still included some in-person, outdoor, hands-on components, but by having a, a majority of the training online, it really opened up for people who wouldn't normally have the ability to take the course. So that's been a really interesting development. And I, I know that that's something that was kind of a, a little bit of good timing around having the funding and having a person could help us um, adapt our curriculum to that online need. So the Master Gardeners, like I said, are and because we, we share that mission statement across the state and our program statewide really share that mission, we find we, we get people who are interested in that community education mission of what we do. So they're not out there implementing gardens for others, but supporting as liaisons, um, developing educational programming, and developing demonstration gardens, as well as supporting these statewide educational programs like Seed to Supper, which is a beginning low-budget gardening program um, offered statewide, as well as the Vegetable Varieties Trial Garden Program, which is another kind of demonstration garden to teach the public about new vegetable varieties. So these are just a few of the statewide programs that we we kind of replicate statewide. And so there's a little bit of uniformity to our Master Gardener program statewide. 
And you said earlier that um, New York is a little bit different than most of the more top-down master gardener programs. Can you tell us more about the national program and you know sure. how it got started and some of those kind of missions or goals at that level might be? Yeah. And so the master gardener program really began in the I get, I've gotten a couple of different accounts, but I'm believing 1975 is the right year. <laughs> it really began um, out West and as a state, every state has really adopted this great popular program as a model. What's nice is the nationwide network of master gardener coordinators provides kind of this common ground and common language that we can all use around what are some best practices, for instance, around number of volunteer hours. What are best practices around kind of the kinds of projects that I was kind of talking about? So making sure master gardeners are having a similar kind of educational mission nationwide. That really has helped me a lot because we are a very county-based program, whereas many states have the same exact rules for every county and kind of a central reporting system, whereas we're not funded that way. So what I've really learned from the national programs is really what are those best practices that are out there that we've learned from other states? And we've actually just created a new kind of program guidelines document for existing coordinators to look at and say, okay, you know, how can we more align with the national best practices versus having different guidelines per counties? So it started in 75. Obviously, the profile of master gardeners is currently undergoing some transition for a number of different reasons, some societal, some access to technology, the impact of COVID. Are there integrated elements or has the program shifted to embrace diversity, equity, and inclusion? And how has that manifested in your work with Master Gardening Coordinators? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And this has actually been an ongoing thing prior to even a lot of civil you know, unrest that's happened over the last year. Part of our mission statement, right, is focused on food security and sustainability education, but also specifically in our Seed to Supper program, which is in 13 counties statewide, there's a real focus on cultural awareness and cultural sensitivity in our workshops that we prepare volunteers to work in vulnerable communities that are not necessarily what are represented in our volunteers all the time. And that's been a really intentional move because, again, I think what's happened a lot with volunteering, and this is true just nationwide, this is just the statistics that we tend to be, you know, a white upper middle class, women-dominated volunteer program. And that's partly due to just the time of a volunteer commitment. And so part of my job, I think, is helping to, again, lower the barriers to entry to the Master Gardener program by not only creating programming that's going to be accessible to people, but also developing in our coordinators the skills in working across difference and working in communities that perhaps extension hasn't always had a really solid relationship. And, and that's not always to say that there, there aren't, there are definitely a lot of our CC educators that have a lot of experience working across different cultural communities. But we have, as you know, a lot of different cultures in New York State. Um, many of our seed to supper programs work with communities of new Americans that are just getting involved in, maybe not just getting involved in gardening, but just getting involved in the community. And so we've really worked pretty hard to create that program to be as low a barrier to entry as possible. So it's kind of like a gateway to the Master Gardener program. It's a, it's a no-cost, low-budget gardening curriculum. We work with community partner organizations that work with low-budget gardeners to recruit new folks into the gardening community, to, to welcome them and to help them see that this community is yours as well. And so that's been a really important program for doing that. But beyond that, I think that program's been going on since 2017 here, and it's actually started at Oregon State University 
So it has a track record of increasing people's confidence and sense of community. So it's really, it's more about building community. The gardening skills are a part of that, but the first part is building the community and building the relationships, which is not always what comes first when you think of master gardeners. And I really think that that's something we're trying to make kind of a central part of our programs, really having those skills at reaching out across differences and building communities because gardening can be a common language. And many of our seed to supper participants end up being volunteers in the seed to supper program, as well as teaching us about new ways to garden, new varieties we can grow in New York State. It's really an exchange, not just a one-way street. I'm really hopeful that that program, along with kind of lowering the barrier to entry for Master Gardener Volunteer Programs, is going to really see a bigger uptick in a larger group of people, including people, you know, who are working and parents and might not have all of the expensive gardening tools. Like, you don't need all that. You really... Most of my gardening experience has been in a community garden. So I know firsthand from a very humble experience that you don't have to have lots of money to garden. We really just need space, community, and, and the education. And that's what we really hope to do to make it really accessible. As you were talking, I was thinking, you know, we hear a lot about the role of home gardening in food security. But I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more about that and whether the Master Gardener program looks specifically at food security and home gardening as a possible solution to some of the food security issues that families might face. Going back to Seed to Supper a little bit, the survey that has been done in the program since it began in Oregon really showed that just being educated on the resources available in the community for gardening, but also the resources that people might not know about related to even SNAP, for instance, You can use SNAP benefits to buy plant starts at a farmer's market. There are resources we can use to increase food security that, again, build on those other sources of food security in communities. In addition to that, I think that the main thing that we've learned from surveys is that just having access to the knowledge and the people connections is what helps people to take that next step. Because as you know, gardening is actually pretty complex. And it's not really that easy to grow lots and lots of food for yourself. But in community, we can do a lot more. And our master gardeners are amazing at growing food and really have amazing skills in this department. Just to give you an example, they donated over 7,000 pounds of food to local food banks through their demonstration gardens that we've been involved with around the state. The master gardeners want to do this because they have access. They know what they're doing and they know how to produce excess. But I think where we really come in is connecting people to not just the resources and the people that can help them, but also kind of those next steps, right? How do we cook food? And we have programs for that through our SNAP-Ed program. We have programs to help people take those next steps. And that's where I think it really, the food security piece comes in is you're not just growing food, you're learning how to use it in the best way. And so that's really where I see the food security piece coming into play. And we have seen a lot of increase in in demand for that kind of learning. So I think across all socioeconomic backgrounds, people want to learn this. So community gardens, I feel like have an even larger role to play in this because they provide this larger amount of land and larger group of people with which to ask questions and get support. I know personal experience that has been critical to learning because I came to gardening the roundabout way through learning through community members who helped me to learn the skills. And so I feel like um, knowing I didn't grow up with this background, I didn't go to school for that. Um, It can be done and you can do it well and we can support these community members and growing their own food in a larger amount. But it really takes that community piece to build, to build in that food security element. 
because that, those connections are really critical for that. And our CCE programs are just so, so well established to help people do that. So I'm excited about that. I think there's a lot of potential there to do even more. So Ashley, in an urban environment, let's talk about gardening in urban environments for a minute. Um, sure. How do you find land? What's the process? And oh, how do you find seeds? Are there community yeah. seed banks, shared, you know, wh yeah. what is the process? And the answer to that is that it is, it is very different in every community. And the ones that I worked in in local government, again, I was kind of supporting getting people. I was the connector to resources. So in many communities, where there's not a person like that, um, it can sometimes be really difficult overcoming the barriers to getting access to land. And a lot of those barriers have to do more with policies around access to land and just those initial startup costs. I was involved with, we used FEMA lots. These are lots that are never going to be built on because they flood. So there wasn't as much of a competition for those lots, right, for other purposes. But in other communities, that's not true. There's development pressure on those kinds of vacant lots. So having consistent policies and having somebody who can help you navigate those policies in each community is kind of critical. You know, that's something that our CCE folks could be potential conduits to helping people overcome those barriers to getting gardening. But a lot of our established urban gardening environments, like in Buffalo and Rochester, there's a lot of community gardens already. It's just getting access, overcoming those barriers to water and the costs of maintaining that. And that's a little different per community. And New York City, obviously, being the, the biggest and the most complex, they, they have you know, whole teams of people to help those community gardens kind of keep up with all the regulatory pieces. So it's a very complex question, and it's actually got a very different answer for every community, but it's an important one. Yeah, so we talked about some of the food justice issues and diversity, equity, inclusion, and programming. Are there any other sort of trends that you're seeing in the work that you're doing that you're responding to? Yeah, I think that obviously climate change is so intertwined with all these other diversity, equity, inclusion, and food security issues that it's hard to like piece them out. And one of the things I applied for some funds for was a food forest trial garden program, again, to teach people about ecological gardening skills that also help with some of those ecosystem services issues in communities. So both feeding people and addressing some of the ecosystem services that our communities need to adapt to climate change. At a very small scale, very quick description of what food forests are, they really are about integrating fruit trees and other perennial fruiting plants into garden design um, and replicating the ecology of a forest in that process. So they, this is done much more in the small farms program, but this is like a smaller community garden level context. That's just one trend that I'm kind of slowly building some resources around for master gardeners. I think it's an important one because, again, we need to build skills around adapting to climate change. And I think horticulture has a big role to play. Even in home gardens, if you think about lawns and all of the space that our you know, personal property takes up, there's a large amount of our property that actually could be better utilized for, for ecosystem services. So I feel like one of our roles is to teach and support programming, helping people to adapt to changes in precipitation events that we're going to have. And really planting more trees is a part of that. And also in urban environments, we have a lot of heat island effect and more localized kind of climate. These kinds of spaces help support a more sustainable environment in those locations as well. So I see that as a trend. Another trend I think that's not going away is that we'll just continue to do more online programming, but also when we do get together, do more hands-on experiential learning. And so that's really 
I know it works for kids. It also works for adults. <laughs> and it's really important that when we're teaching these kinds of skills that we do it in a sense of community as well as in a, actually addressing issues like in real time. So that's one of my goals is to do more field day experiences um, with Master Gardeners statewide so that they can learn in a hands-on way. And that's definitely true again for the 4-H side. It's always been kind of how they operate and we want to do more of that. We have some really interesting stuff around teaching people about how to grow different vegetable varieties from all around the world. Um, that's something else we're really putting together that I'm really excited about kind of an international vegetable varieties trial garden program to teach our master gardeners about what can be grown in New York state that is not only really nutritious, but also culturally appropriate to different groups around the state. So those are just a few of the trends that I'm seeing in the future. So we understand the terms here. When you refer to ecosystem services and community gardens contributing to that, what is an ecosystem service? What are services that ecosystems provide? How do we understand this? So there's a couple of different layers to ecosystem services. There's the actual kind of environmental services that trees and plantings provide, whether it be rainwater capture or carbon capture, as well as reducing, for instance, localized air pollution. Um, that's just the physical uh, ecosystem services. But there's also the cultural ecosystem services that is part of the definition that's contributing to the cultural needs of the community. What are the, the kinds of fruits and vegetables that people in that community want to eat and providing for um, recreational and more green space in communities? So there's, there's a couple different layers to it, but really it's more about utilizing the green space that we have in the best way possible in order to to bring the most benefit to the community. So I wanted to loop back to something that you mentioned earlier when you're talking about some of the benefits of being in natural environments. Can you talk more about that and the role of, of gardening in that? Just to give a little context, my background's in applied research and human environment relations in the College of Human Ecology. So I kind of live between these two worlds of the social sciences and the natural sciences. I just think there's so much growth in this area because the research really shows us that, especially in lower income communities, that natural spaces buffer the stress that people are feeling. And there's a lot of ways that they do that. There's basically this something called attention restoration, where people who are stressed out, been on your computer all day, haven't looked outside at all, going outside actually helps you to be able to concentrate and focus again. For kids, and especially that's, this, is, this has been true that in upper low-income housing where there are trees versus no trees, the people that have access to trees have a better ability to overcome stressful life experiences. And that's real scientific research that's been done on, on this. And so when I think about the role that we have to play as Master Gardener volunteers, I see this as like a, a grassroots movement to really increase the access to nature and especially urban and low-income communities there's not as many of these spaces available to people. So increasing access through places like community gardens, through smaller green spaces, even you know, small beautification programs that master gardeners run around the state actually has a really big impact, a bigger impact than you would think on local mental health. And it also builds communities. So there's that piece to it too. So you're both engaging people in developing green space, but then you're also improving some of these adaptations to stress. And so it's not going to solve everything, but it's, it's one thing we can do. And it's something really powerful and important people. I'm excited to share more of that background with Master Gardeners and help them see that this isn't just something extra. This is actually really important right now. It's important to people's mental well-being to help them see that they have an impact and 
they have control over their environment and they can improve it. These are all really positive things that we can give back to communities. And I think it's got a lot of uh, ripple effects that we don't always know about. Culturally within the Master Gardener program, you know, it's been around for 45, you're going to celebrate your 50th anniversary soon, aren't you? Very soon. Yeah. 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 (laughs) That's awesome. So it's been around for a while. Has the introduction of new ideas and new content into that program, how does it flow? I would say our group of Master Gardeners that I've encountered have been really receptive. Um, We've developed a new continuing education course that kind of touches on all of these subjects. And I've gotten really positive feedback on a lot of it because it's, it's research-backed, it's kind of defending the kind of work that they do and the value of it. But it also helps people to see that this is not for those that have a lot of wealth. This is really something that can be applied to supporting communities' improvement over time. Why I feel like I was hired was, as was to bring that perspective, because I come from that background and I actually have learned a lot from the Master Gardeners on ornamentals and all of these other things that I didn't have a lot of background in. But I think what I'm bringing to the table and what they're really receptive to is this is gardening, but it's also all of these other things that are actually part of our mission statement for CCE. And I think it's about shifting our perspective from, oh, this is a nice extra. You're doing beautification too. Like, oh no, this is actually improving crime rates. There's research out there. If you improve physical look of a neighborhood, there's less crime. And so I'm really excited about helping people to see this is something that can really benefit communities in a lot of ways. And folks in urban planning programs are talking a lot about this. And I know like Don Rico and our program is talking a lot about this, but I think we need to make it more widespread. And we need to, especially right now, as people are recovering from this just crazy time we've been in, we're going to see people wanting more of this sense of community. And in one way, it's one of those spaces where we can still engage and come together as a community without a lot of fear, especially during the pandemic, you know, community gardening efforts and those kinds of things have actually been a consistent piece that people can have access to right now. And I think, I hope that's going to continue into the future. Um, I have not felt the resistance. If anything, you know, I think people are just, have been really afraid during this time. And hopefully some of that is is waning. And um, especially since a lot of our master gardeners are older, um, you know, I think they've really, this has provided a sense of community that is so important in this time when people have been isolated. I guess I feel like more of a sense of community with the Master Gardener program than ever, and a more of a sense of mission because of that. But in a nutshell, that's my really positive kind of spin on that is that, um, of course, there's always resistance to things like climate change and social justice issues. But really, when it comes down to it, we want to connect people to plants and to each other. And that's, that's kind of a common human need that I think crosses across any kind of difference. That's something we can all come together around. One of the first emails I think that I remember coming across my desk when I started with extension was about the jumping worms and like master gardeners were um, seeing these really aggressive worms in their garden all of a sudden. And there was a lot of conversation among master gardeners about, you know, what are these things and how do we deal with them? So can you talk a little bit about how the program responds to things that people are actually seeing right in their backyard? That's another, I I talk a lot about the social issues because I think that's where I'm coming from, but there's a much bigger part of the program that is addressing those common, it seems like there's just more and more of them, all of these invasive pest issues. And that's definitely one of them, jumping worms, gypsy moths, as you might've heard of, uh, have really affected trees in large parts of Western New York and the North Country. So we, we provide webinars on some of these topics to try to, again, get ahead of these things. But mostly we work with the New York State IPM folks. We work with the invasive species PWT. We work with the experts in these different groups to bring this research to the master gardeners. 
because again, I'm not an expert in all of this, but we had all these great connections to programs that are really, really knowledgeable about these specific subjects. So I feel like my job is to keep on top of that <laughs> and make sure I know who to talk to because this is something I'm learning a lot about as, as we go as well. So I really rely on the Sustainable Landscapes Program Work Team, the Invasive Species Program Work Team, and our amazing CC educators to survey and tell me what are the top questions you're getting in your offices so that we can do professional development on it and help the master gardeners address questions. Because that's the biggest, there's just, there's more and more of them. And, and a lot of it, you know, um, is kind of coming at you at a lot, a lot of fast speed, <laughs> I would say. Um, and so, yeah, the master gardener program really helps to support communities in addressing those problems because it can't just be one educator doing all that. So Ashley, is, is there anything you wanted to say that you, you weren't able to say yet or anything that you think we should touch on before we wrap this up? I might put a little push out there for the fact that we have some really fun and interesting things coming up. We have an ecological gardening guide being developed in conjunction with Jenny Kramer from CC Tompkins, which is taking some of these concepts that we're talking about, some of this continuing education for master gardeners and creating a, a month-by-month guide to gardening in New York State and addressing some of these common issues like you talked about. So that's all in one nice, easy to use guide for new gardeners, home gardeners, community gardeners. So that's a really exciting new publication that's kind of coming through a collaboration with Master Gardener. Master Gardeners around the state are editing that and helping support that. And then also, like I mentioned earlier, we have a food forest trail garden program, which is going to provide some small scale grants for demonstration gardens around that concept that's coming up in the next year, year and a half. And we'll have a so basically a field day experience for our CC educators to get them all up to speed on that kind of gardening practice. So we got a lot of fun things coming up, things we've been waiting to do and building over time. But just overall, I'm just excited that we have these great programs already in place that can address some of these things that are happening right now. And I'm really excited. CC has recently hired two community garden focused educators in Rochester and in New York City to do even more outreach to different cultural groups that we really want to be welcoming into the fold of the Master Gardener program as well someday. I'm actually very positive that we're making a lot of strides on a lot of these things concurrently, but we're doing it over time and in a way that I hope will really help people to stay inspired and keep the enthusiasm for gardening going. Thanks for listening to this episode. Extension Out Loud was produced and edited by Paul Treadwell with help from Katie Belden. For more about this episode, including show notes and more, visit extensionoutloud.com. And be sure to subscribe to Extension Out Loud on your favorite podcast directory.